Well, welcome back, everybody. Again, uh, so good to be able to see different faces from some of you who are part of our church, local church body here, um, and also to see pictures of people across the world, all who have been impacted by the generosity of the people who call Pomerado Christian Church our, our home church. And so I'm just so grateful um, to be part of this wonderful, wonderful church. And so what we want to do uh, is I want to kind of give a quick uh, signal that as we get ready to dive into the sermon, um, we're going to be in the book of Colossians. Uh, we've been there the past several weeks. And in the book of Colossians, um, we've been doing this ever since Easter. Uh, this idea of looking at different lessons from house arrest that Paul, the author, the apostle, um, who wrote this book as a letter to the Colossian church in Colossae, he uh, wrote this letter to them to help them understand the power of being in Christ, to reveal some mysteries to them, uh, to fight off some heresies that have been in the area. But there are a lot of lessons that he shared from being within house arrest in Rome, and he was able to still do ministry in, in a city far away. And so for us, as we too are in a place of maybe not house arrest, but we're being sheltered in place and we're um, still making sure that we navigate the COVID-19 uh, pandemic and um, wearing masks when we're out and, and washing hands and doing all the things we're supposed to. But our ministry, our lives don't get to be put on hold of the impact that God has on us. Rather, there are areas that are put on hold. But when it comes to the impact we can have on others and the lessons we can learn, that there are lessons from house arrest through the book of Colossians that we could learn together. And so for our lesson today, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. But before we do, I'm going to ask you to join me um, in a word of prayer, if you would, as we get ready to receive God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. I thank you for the fact that you love each and every person who hears my voice right now. Lord, I pray that you would meet them in a special way. I pray that they know they are prayed for, cared for, and loved. And that they learn nothing else from the sermon today. May that truth of their, your love for them, the love that goes on and on and on, God, may that truth permeate to the very fiber of their being. I pray, Lord, that I would decrease, you would increase, that you would speak in a personal, powerful, impactful way to each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you're turning to Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24, I want to share kind of right off the bat that this has been a little bit of a tough week for me uh, physically. So... Um, uh, many of you know that I, I suffer from headaches and um, every once in a while specifically from migraines. And so this week um, had, I had a slew of them. So three out of the past four days I had really bad headaches um, and specifically two of those days I had full-blown migraines where I was just out of commission. I couldn't work, uh, get stuff done. I couldn't spend time with my family. Um, it was just me trying to be in a dark room with uh, heating pads and medication and just trying to navigate through that. And so it was a really tough week and I uh, still have a little bit of headaches now and there, but um, it's improved than it was a few days ago. But it's been rough. And again, that idea of just feeling out of commission, like just unable to do the work and the things that um, I need to do, I want to do, I'm called to do. And as you look around our world right now, um, I don't think I was the only one that's been out of commission the past few days. That if you think about how much life has changed over the past uh, several weeks to the point where you know you look around and um, grocery stores are open different hours you see that restaurants are unable to have dining customers that starbucks if you go if you want to go to starbucks you're in a drive-through line for 35 minutes or so um, 
you think about how uh, movie theaters are shut down and sports are shut down, big events and concerts are shut down. Um, and it's the world around us in a lot of ways is out of commission. It's not in working order and things are so different. And for our point today, it's important for us to recognize um, as we are as we are looking at the idea of being out of commission, that being out of commission is something that is um, something that we can't do as Christians. That the world around us may be out of commission, but as Christians, we never are. Our work is never done. Our calling is never changed. The impact we can have is never diminished because our God is never done working. And so he's commissioned us to do things. And as we look at Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24 through chapter 2, verse 5, we're going to learn some of these things, ask a couple questions, and address some things that Paul wanted to write to the Colossian church in this time. And so the first thing that we see here is just asking the question, what is our commission? What is it that Paul was called to do and that we too are called to do? Because if the world around us is out of commission, what do we still need to be a part of in order to still be on mission and working in the way that God has us to? We're going to start in verse, uh, Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 24. First thing we see is, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I'm going to pause right there uh, because when I first read that, it felt a little odd um, when it talked about how Paul's suffering uh, showed that Christ's afflictions were lacking. And, and so as I, through some study, it's to be really very clear that that doesn't mean that what Christ's affliction he experienced on the cross, that is fully able to heal us from our sins, to forgive us, to provide us with righteousness and a right relationship with God. So Paul isn't referring to the substitution sacrifice that Jesus laid on, uh, paid the price on the cross for. He's not talking about the fact that we still need to earn our salvation because it's a gift from grace of grace through faith. What he is saying is that even though, even though Christ's uh, death is sufficient for our eternal salvation, that there are still people around the world that they still want Christians to suffer and they still have persecution ever since the beginning of the church all the way uh, even now there's persecution around the world and so the idea behind this is just to say that Paul's saying listen in God's sight Christ's sacrifice was enough and his affliction is enough for us to have eternal life but the world's appetite for persecuting Christians or for um, laying affliction on those who call Jesus Lord and Savior, that that has not waned. And so Paul is taking his part and he's rejoicing that he can be in the ministry of not just um, uh, the redemption and reconciliation, but also the ministry of suffering. He talks about that in Philippians 3 as well. But he talks about how this suffering, he takes joy in it. But here's why. Because verse 25, he says, I become its servant by the commission God gave me. So again, what is the commission? What is our commission? The first thing that we see here is that we are commissioned to make the mystery of the gospel known to everyone. We are commissioned. We are called. We are given the task of making the mystery of the gospel 
known to everyone. Here's how Paul continues it as he looks in verse 25. He says, he has been commissioned to present to you, this is to the Colossian church, the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, there was a, a, a heresy going on in the church of Colossae that um, there was a couple different parts, and we'll hit on that in a couple weeks as we look at further into Colossians 2, but one part of the heresy was this idea that you needed to have a special revelation, a special, uh, there's hidden knowledge and hidden mysteries um, that you needed to have the special answer to. And Paul is talking about how, no, the mystery is, is the, the fact that hidden throughout the gospel or hidden throughout the story of God is that all people, all Gentiles are going to be included in the kingdom. We see that in Isaiah and some of the prophecies. We see that um, in Genesis 12, the idea that uh, Abraham was blessed to be a blessing to the entire world. But what we see here is that in the very beginning, it's not just that you had to have a special amount of knowledge or a specific idea of knowledge in order to receive Christ. It's this idea that the mystery was made known. And so the mystery isn't something that's been completely hidden. The mystery is something that people didn't see and Paul wanted to make it known. So for us, we are commissioned to make the mystery of the gospel known to everyone. The mystery that no matter how far gone, no matter how far away you've run from God, you may be the furthest person in the whole world that would ever want to be in a relationship with God. But if you're hearing me now, may you know that God loves you. And all the walls that you've built up, that I in the past have built up, that we've built up at in times, all those things that have separated us from Christ, that God can take those apart brick by brick, that once where once a wall was to separate us, that he's made a bridge to unite us. And so we need to make that mystery known to people, that all people need to hear that God loves you that we messed up, but Jesus paid for it. He paid your bill. He made sure that the payment was there so that we may have right relationship. And then still we have to receive that so that like we talked about last week, full restoration can happen. That there can be not just fallen redemption, but creation and restoration all come through the person of Jesus Christ, the God, fully God, fully man of who Jesus is. So we are commissioned as Paul is, to make known, as verse 27 says, make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery. And here's the mystery, that Christ, the one we studied last week who created the heavens and the earth, that through him and in him all things were made. Christ, who has this huge idea of how vast his creation is. He's not just some distant God. He is, can be in you if you receive him. And the Holy Spirit inside of us, who, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead, lives inside of people who believe in him. And, that make, and he makes us more like Jesus. And, and so looking at this idea that we are commissioned to share that good news, that the hope of our glory isn't that Christ is distant and he can help us from a distance, that he's present and he's here and he's in us and he loves us. So we are commissioned 
to make the mystery of the gospel known to everyone, to share the gospel. That's not the only thing we are commissioned to do, though. We are also commissioned to mature everyone in Christ. Now, it's not just about reaching people and evangelizing and, and having a little um, a, a salvation and just say, okay, great, we did our job. That's a huge part of the job, and the angels rejoice. But the church, a lot of what the church does is to come alongside people in community to be, help us all be more matured into a relationship with Christ. Here's how Paul talks about this, starting in verse 28. He, referring to Jesus, he is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy uh, Christ so powerfully works in me. That how do we become more mature is that there's admonishing, there's, there's a calling out. When we know truth, there's a speaking of truth in love in a way that if I'm going off the path, if someone else is going off the path, that we speak truth to one another in love and admonish one another to get, help ourselves course correct and to recalculate our path and to recalibrate our focus. But then we also are able to teach and to be taught with wisdom and to be able to proclaim who Jesus is, that it's not enough just to bring people into right relationship with God. Yes, we need to do that. But what's so hard is how many times people may come into right relationship with God, and then they have no one to walk alongside them and to go into maturity. That we have, there's these kind of theological, these big terms that talk about, uh, the first one is justification. Just the idea that we've been justified and made right before God through receiving Jesus and his atoning sacrifice and being made right with the Father. But that's where we usually think of salvation. Oh, it's when I was justified, is the justification. But then there's this whole process called sanctification in which we become more like Christ, in, in which we get all of our rough edges chiseled out, in which all the imp excuse me, impurities or things that aren't right get worked in and worked out of us so that we could become and be presented holy, presented blameless, and in this case, presented mature, or the word for that can also mean complete, that we are truly made complete in Christ when we are made in his image and we appear in that image to other people. We reveal ourselves to other people as Christ would. And then the last one is the idea of glorification, and that's when we are able to meet Jesus face to face in heaven, and that's why our hope of glory is that when Christ is in us, as we saw in verse 27. So when you boil it down, I mean, Paul's commission is the same as our commission that Jesus gave, that we are to make known the mystery of the gospel to everyone. We are to share our faith to people around us, to, to be a light in a dark place, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And both and, not either or, but both that and maturing people, coming alongside, discipling people, raising people up in the community of faith, showing them what it looks like to follow Jesus in the everyday aspects of our lives. What does it look like to honor God in a pandemic? What does it look like to honor God when we're in home and we're stressed and there's work and there's kids and there's so much going on and we're trying to stay connected with people? What, what does it look like to honor God in a pandemic? What does it look like for us to mature in our faith in the midst of a pandemic rather than fall back and just kind of let this season pass by and hope that we just make it through when instead we could lean into this season and learn lessons from house arrest that could change our lives? 
One of those lessons being that while the world is out of commission, we as Christians, we never are. We never can be because this world needs Christ. So that commission that we have is the great commission that Jesus showed us. When he had already risen from the dead and he was just about to ascend into heaven and he brought his 11 disciples nearby because Judas had already betrayed him and then um, had taken his own life. And so the disciples are there and then he gives the great commission, the commission that provides the mission for every church uh, that exists. It says this, therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Let's look back at that for a second. And we look at Paul in, the verse, in verses 25 through 27. He wanted to make the mystery of the gospel known to everyone. So here we go. We're supposed to go and make disciples of all nations, to go into all nations. But then we make disciples. We don't just stop there. In the same way that we see about the maturing of the people through teaching and admonishing and wisdom to be presented mature in Christ. That's what it means to, be, to make disciples. That we baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we teach them to obey everything I've commanded. We don't just teach them commandments, right? We don't just teach them what the Bible says. We, we need to be taught how to obey what the Bible says. There's a big difference between hearing something and obeying it. For those of us with young kids, you know that all too well, that they may hear what we're saying, but until someone acts upon it, until you say, can you please pick up this, the, these toys? Can you please put that away? Oh, I heard you. But we say, well, we know you hear us if you obey, if you act upon what you've heard. So. It's this idea that we need to be t teaching people to obey what God's word says because it's not just about how we feel about something. It's the fact that his word is the same. It's living and it's active. And when we don't know what to do in our lives, we don't turn to our own subjective emotions and we don't turn to the, the, um, the mindset of what the culture says around us. We turn to God's word, which never changes. And we turn and we say, okay, how does my life compare to how God wants me to live? And if I look at the word as if to a mirror, am I just going to forget who I am and what I look like? Or will I remember it and become a doer of the word, an obeyer of the word? And so uh, Francis Chan has an example of this. And I've shared it before, but it's a good one when he's talking about the importance of obedience and when it comes to kids and how he says that, you know, what if his daughter, he says to his daughter, hey, honey, go clean your room. And he comes back the next day and her room's not clean. He says, hey, I thought, I thought that uh, I asked you to clean your room. And she says, well, I, I thought about what you said. You said to clean my room. And Francis Chan continues the example and says, yeah, you're right. Now go clean your room. And so then she talks about the next day comes by. What if it's still not clean? She says, honey, I, I asked you to clean your room. He said, yeah. But guess what? I, I looked up the Greek and the Hebrew. I looked up the ancient language of the words clean your room. And now I have a better idea of what you mean when you say clean my room. Francis in the illustration says, I get it, honey, but I asked you to clean your room. Little time goes by. The room's still not clean. He walks by the room, sees people and says, honey, I asked you to clean your room. And she says, well, you know, I got a group of friends together and we talked about what 
our, my life would look like if I cleaned my room. And he says, honey, just go clean your room. It's not about just the knowledge of things. It's about putting those things into action. So that was the illustration Francis Chan gave. I think I appreciate it more now that I have kids in their messy rooms, mine included. Um, so we look at this idea here of the great commission, that our commission that Paul was saying, make known the mystery of the gospel to everyone and to mature everyone in Christ is the same commission we received from Jesus 2,000 years ago to go into all the nations, make disciples, baptizing people, teach them to obey the commandments and to remember that he is with us even to the very end of the age. And so we look at that, but that, that kind of teaches us kind of the basics of what Paul saw as what his commission, his special word or his special calling was. Again, he uses that exact word commission in verse 25. So we ask what our commission is, but now we need to ask this question or address this situation. Why Christians can never be out of commission? Why we can never just turn off being Christ followers? Why we can never put it on hold? Why we can never honestly use a, a pandemic as an excuse to not do the things that God has called us to do? To reach out, to pray, to minister, to share. We can't go on a hiatus. We don't get a break from being Christ followers because Jesus didn't get a break from pursuing us and uh, living a perfect life and dying a horrible death but being raised to new life so we could have eternal life. God hasn't been taking a break. He's working and he's moving. Our lives are not, we are not able to stay out of commission. So why are some of the reasons? Look at chapter 2 verses 1 through 5 to look at a few of these reasons. A few of these I got from Warren Wearsby's study um, or his uh, commentary. So uh, a few of the points you'll, you'll, um, I, I got from him. So I want to be clear. Here's what uh, they say in chapter 2. Paul says, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. Two things I want to point out there. First, this idea that it reiterates what we said in the first week of our series, that Paul hasn't even met these people yet. He hasn't met this church. But it doesn't mean that not meeting them, that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a connection with them. And that in the same way that he poured into Epaphras, who started this church, he has a connection to them. In the same way that we talked about how we are connected with different missionaries across the world and the people they impact. And so... Even though we haven't met, for, met them, Paul talks about how he's contending for them. And if you look at your Bible really quickly, you'll notice that uh, chapter 2, verse 1 has the word contend. And then chapter 1, verse 29. So right before that, there also talks about how Paul strenuously contends with the energy that Christ powerfully works in him. That word contend uh, is the Greek word where we get the root word for agony, for agonizing over someone. That this isn't a, a small sacrifice. This is a, a hardworking and agonizing work, a strenuous contending for the people. And to give the context of that, the reason, if you looked at Acts 21, you might wonder, why is Paul even in prison? Like, what did he do that caused him to be put in house arrest? And if you look at Acts 21, I think it's around verse 27 or so you'll start to see the story of why he was arrested. And essentially what it boils down to is that the, the temple in Jerusalem, um, that there were certain places in which, uh, you know, the Greeks and Gentiles weren't allowed in there. Paul, who was a Jew, he was a Roman citizen, but he was Jewish. He brought some Greeks into a part of the temple courtyard that they weren't allowed to be in. And so they, were, they had him arrested. So the Colossian church, 
they're, when they're hearing Paul and talking about how he's contended for them, he's, he's agonized over them, he's worked strenuously for, strenuously for them, they know it to be true because they know he's in prison to welcome people like them into the gospel of Christ, to make the mystery known to them so they can have a right relationship with Jesus. He's not just talking the talk, but he's walked the walk and now he's locked up for it. And so they see that it's something that is not just what he's, he's not just giving lip service. It's something that's impacted his entire life. So let's look at verse, starting in verse two, he talks about the, his goals that he has for people who um, he hasn't met yet, but will come to know Jesus. The first one is that the, the reason we cannot be out of commission is that the world needs to be encouraged. Chapter two, the first part of it, uh, sorry, chapter two, verse two, first part of it says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Guys, if there is a season in our world, in our lifetime, where people need to be encouraged, it's right now. There have been plenty of times in the past, of course, I'm not diminishing those, but the truth is, is that there are people who need to have courage now. And that idea of being encouraged, it's literally this idea of you put courage into someone. And so what does it look like for you to breathe life into somebody right now, to encourage them and to give them hope and to give them peace and to share a timely word or to let them know you're praying for them or to build a bridge and reconnect with someone? The world needs to be encouraged. Who is someone that you can encourage today to pour courage into? Whether it's someone who already knows Jesus, who's part of the body of Christ, in the same way that Paul is saying, you know, I want to contend for those of you in different churches so that you may be encouraged. Or maybe it's to try to encourage someone who doesn't know Jesus yet, to let them know that they may not believe in God and who Jesus is, but he loves them and, and he'll carry them through and you can be an example and encouragement to them. The world needs to be encouraged. The next line that he says, says that so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. The world doesn't just need to be encouraged. The world needs to be enriched. And again, as Warren Wearsby gave these words, but this isn't the idea of the world just just needs more money, right? I mean, not that kind of riches. Yes, we give and your generosity has been incredible and um, we are able to, to give to people in need. Maybe, but sometimes the greatest riches aren't tangible objects, right? Like sometimes just being able to be a listening ear to someone in a time of grieving and discouragement, oh, that enriches them. Maybe to be able to write them a note, maybe to be able to give a phone call maybe to be able to just pour into somebody. But in this case, it talks about how that the enriches of complete understanding of the mystery of God, namely Christ. So what does it look like to enrich someone's life so that they may have the full understanding of who God is? And this is the idea of a, a richer understanding of God's love. And it reminds me of, you know, I, I think you think you know what love is, in various stages in your life and it just kind of, it grows. You, you think you know what love is um, 
you know, when you are a child and you have a parent and you love them, and that's beautiful. And then you think you know what love is when you figure out what friendships look like. And, you know, you know there's my friend, I love him. Then you think you know what love is when you're, you start dating. And then you think you know what love is when you get married. And then you think you know what love is when you have kids. And then you think you know what love is when your kids leave the home and, and you hurt, but then also the love you have for your spouse that you've lived life together in that season. And then you think you know what love is when you have grandkids. And then you think you know what love is when you think that you, know, you don't know how much time you have left. And love is more, is enriched the more that we recognize that. And so I thought I knew what love is when I got married, but I love my wife now more than I did the day we got married. I thought I knew what it was like to have, when I had kids to, to have Shaylin and to love her so much. And to think, I don't know how I could ever love another child as much as I love my first. And then like God just increases the size of the capacity of love in our hearts. It's like the Grinch in the, in the cartoon, right? When all of a sudden like his heart was too small and it like grows and all of a sudden like bursts, right? Like when we have more kids, we just have more love in our hearts and our understanding of love is enriched. The world, anyone that you think of right now, your family, your friends, your coworkers, your classmates, um, people you haven't spoken to in a long time, everyone, everyone's lives need to be enriched from an understanding of how much God loves them. And that's not easy for many people. But you talk about encouraging someone and enriching someone, it's showing them how much Jesus loves them and to be an example of that love to them. We continue on, verse four. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. We talk about how the world needs to be encouraged. We talk about how the world needs to be enriched. And lastly, we need to talk about how the world needs to be enlightened. We need to have an understanding that when there's different arguments that are going on, that we would not be swayed as Christians by fine-sounding arguments around us, by deceptive philosophies, as we see later in chapter 2, as the world's understanding or, or the culture's point of views that all of a sudden, well, if, if the culture says this is right, then we must go with that. But no, 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 we rest upon the truth of God's word and we love people around us and we show them God's love, but we do not change what we believe based on what the culture believes, right? So we need to be able to be enlightened as Christians, to know God's word so well, to be in communities in which we talk about it so that our understanding can be sharpened and not... Um, not on our own, but to have people sharpen us and make us uh, more like Christ. We need to be enlightened and we need to be able to, out of that knowledge, we need to be able to share it. Because when it talks about how, how are we going to make the gospel known to people if we don't truly know the gospel? How are we going to mature other people into Christ if we aren't becoming more mature in Christ? How are we going to grow in knowledge and in wisdom and in stature if we're not taking the time to grow in knowledge and wisdom and stature? How are we going to grow in integrity and grow in honor if we just allow the world to pass us by and we just turn on uh, the TV and turn off our minds and our hearts to those around us? We don't want to be swayed by the world around us, so we need to be enlightened. And we can never be out of commission because we and the world need to be encouraged need to be enriched, 
and need to be enlightened. So as we close today, I want to uh, just give a couple of application points for you. So things that you can do to show that you know our lives, we're not out of commission. As Christians, we never are. The world around us may be out of commission, but we as Christians never are out of commission. We must be on mission all the time. And so based on those three things, the idea that the world needs to be encouraged, here's my, here's my challenge to you. I'm gonna challenge you and myself to encourage three people every day of this next week. Encourage three people. That might be someone in your family. So it might be encouraging your wife or your husband for um, everything that they're doing to encourage your kids that they're doing a great job or that you're with them. Maybe an extended family member, maybe a coworker, maybe just be a quick text and maybe a post on Facebook saying, hey, I just want to encourage you all how much God loves you. But I want you to take an intentional three people. It doesn't have to be the same three people every day, by the way. Spread out that encouragement. And when you wake up in the morning, ask God, who is someone who needs to be encouraged today? And to hear it and then to act upon that and to obey what he's calling you and who he's calling you to reach out to. Say, hey, I just want to encourage you. God loves you. How can I pray for you? Even if it's something as simple as that, I've received some of those text messages uh, from some of you this past week. And so as I'm in pain with a migraine and I get a uh, text saying, hey, I'm praying for you right now. I don't know what's going on, but God brought you to mind. And it's so encouraging. So this week, three people, three different people, three people every day to reach out to and encourage. Second thing I want to ask you to do, when it comes to the idea of the world needing to be enriched, share the richness of God, of who he is and his love with one person this week. So that might be someone who you know has gone to church and maybe you say, hey, there's a, there's a, a worship song I want you to hear about or a message I want you to hear or hey, I just want you to know that I, I thought about you today, I'm praying for you and I just want to remind you how rich the Father's love is for you. And maybe you just enrich them, their lives and point them to who God is. Remind them that God is a care, that he cares for us, that he loves us. I mean, whatever it is. But this week, share the richness of God with at least one person. And who knows if your willingness to do that, God may just bring the right person along through a phone call or a text or a Facebook, whatever. And you might have an opportunity to impact someone's life so you are fully on mission, not being able to be out of commission. And then lastly, when it comes to the world needing to be enlightened, commit for you. Don't just encourage three people every day. Share the gospel and the richness of God's love with someone this week. But commit to being in God's word every day this week. And if you don't know where to start, you can start in the book of John and just read that. You can start in the book of James. You can download uh, the Bible app on all your mobile devices and to be able to just pick a reading plan. I mean, but just commit to reading God's word and being in it and learning it and not just checking off a box because you did it, but allowing his word to check your hearts to see like where it is that you might need to grow and be challenged. So I encourage you this week, as we look at this, reach out and encourage three people every day, each week, or each day of this week. Share the richness of God's love with one person. Commit to being in God's word every day. We, we don't have the excuse that, you know, we, we don't have time to sit down. Yes, my life is busier than it's been, to be sure, but we are home. And we can go on a walk and put in the Bible app and just listen as we're walking. 
We could find ways to do this, to commit to being in God's word. I use the First 15 app. It's an app that uh, you can do it audio or um, it, it has a, um, a devotion that is read to you and then you have a worship song that connects to it. So do that, go on a walk, take care of your physical health and your spiritual health as well. I mean, commit to these things this week and recognize that that allows us to not just be out of commission because the world around us may be, but we don't have that luxury as Christians. We are always on mission to make the disciple, the, excuse me, the gospel known, to evangelize, to share our faith, and to mature everyone, including ourselves and our own growth in Christ. Evangelism, discipleship, the Great Commission, it's not changed, but will you, will I, will we allow it to change us? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time that we have together. Lord, I pray that you would um, speak to us and, and we thank you that you are with us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to know who to encourage this week. I pray that you would help us to know who we can share your richness of, the, of your love with this week. I pray that you would help us to know which area of the Bible to commit to reading this week. But God, I pray that as we are in these season, the season of house arrest or sheltering in place, God, that you would work in us and through us. And like Paul, we wouldn't see staying at home being an excuse to not do your work. But instead, we would take upon your commission to, do, to evangelize and to disciple. And that we would take that to heart this week and intentionally do things to change this world for you one person at a time. God, may you be pleased and glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as we're going to take uh, opportunity to take some communion together, and we mentioned earlier in the service that you have an opportunity to do it, so this is that opportunity. And so, uh, for those of you who don't know Jesus yet, don't you know? Don't worry about that, um, about this communion part. We want you to know about Jesus, so I'm not trying to write that off uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But what I'm saying is this act of communion is what we who follow Jesus and trust in him and love him, what we do is we take bread that reminds us of Jesus' body that was broken and reminds us that he took the weight of our sin upon his shoulders. And we take the cup that reminds us of his blood that was poured out and the fact that now through his blood and through his sacrifice, we are made clean and made whole and we are new creations. And if that's something that you would like to be take a part of is to give your life to Jesus, um, then I'll pray a prayer in a moment for you to do that. For those of us who've already made that decision, this is our opportunity to take communion. And so let me pray for those of you who uh, may want to know more about Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for those who don't know Jesus now, God. I pray that if any of them are watching right now, they feel that stirring in their heart to receive your salvation through Jesus Christ, that we just confess, Lord, that I, I know I'm a sinner and I know that I am not good enough on my own to be in a right relationship with you. I know Jesus is fully God, fully man. I know that he died on the cross for my sins. And I know that I can receive him and experience eternal life with you. We do, I do so now. And for all of us, we remember you, Jesus, and your death on the cross by taking the bread, taking the cup, and having a moment of communing with you, thankful that our hope for glory is that you, Jesus, the God of, uh, in, in the heavens and creator of through all things were made, you came down to earth 
and that you live inside of us through the power of the Holy Spirit, that Christ in us is the hope of glory. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Feel free to partake of the communion as you feel led. Everyone, thank you so much for joining us for service today. Uh, it is such a blessing to be able to worship with you from my home to yours. Uh, we pray that you make God your home, or God, you make a home for God in your life, um, and that we commit to doing these things to be on mission, not out of commission, but on mission for Him each and every day. Uh, you are prayed for, you are cared for, you are loved. There are links on the top of your page um, if you want to get connected to the church, ask for prayer. Um, get connected, make a decision for the Lord, whatever you need to do. But thank you for joining us. God bless you all. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you. May he grant you his peace. Thank you so much. God bless you. I'll see you next Sunday morning.